are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm back. He's back, boys. Did you mention where I went? I think I mentioned on Friday that you were out in Orlando, but I did not, I did not say any specifics as to your whereabouts in Orlando. It's funny. I, d- I didn't even reconcile the fact that I was in the same zip code area as Big Cat Bryant when he was making certain comments, but I was at Disney World. I was having a good time. First time I ever went to Disney World. How interesting it? place. It's interesting. I'm a thrill seeker. Okay. I like roller coasters a lot. And if you're going for roller coasters and thrill rides, Disney World ain't it. But if you're going there because of an experience and theatrics and a clean, nice, family-friendly amusement park, Disney is it. And I was shocked. I had never been before. Of course, Six Flags has been my main experience with amusement parks, and Disney World just cleaned its clock. So Six Flags would be the place to go if you're looking for roller coasters. 100%. And at times I was at Disney World, I was like, "Eh, I think I'd like to go to Six Flags to go and ride some (laughs) roller coasters, right? But yeah. Just because there weren't that many options for roller coasters or thrill rides at Disney World, but that's not what they build their brand on. That's not what they that's not what they hang their hat on out there. It's more about selling people on an experience. And when you step on Disney World's campus, it's about the magic. And I'll be real, uh, I, I I didn't buy into that before I went to Disney World. Hence why it took me. You know, a quarter of a century to be able to get there. I'm 24, 25 years old. For me to be able to get there and take me that long, I, I see what it's about, and I see why so many people have a great time. It, it, it was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. I've been. I was there when I was three. I don't remember anything about it. I've not been back since. Not because I think I'd hate it. It's just not had the over. Well, like if I were gonna like thrill seeking, right? If I were gonna go do something like that, oh, I you would, need to find roller coasters. Yeah, I would go to Six Flags. Now, I'm not a big roller coaster guy, but if I were to choose between Six Flags and Disney, I'd probably go Six Flags. Because if I'm gonna get the full the full experience, might as well get the full experience without a doubt. But like I said, I was somehow in the same zip code area. It may not even be the same zip code. I I, I was in the same vicinity as Big Cat Bryant when he was making jokes. <laughs> What'd you think? Yeah, so uh, he made an interesting comment about how he thinks UCF could whoop up on Auburn or whatever whatever phrase he used. And all I have and if you say- watch the video, he's like smirking about it when yeah. he's when he's talking, and it, and it's clear there's some salt there, and that it is a jab. This isn't one of those things where he was like joking. the The face that he had when he said it, he was like, "Oh yeah, we we we'd for sure beat Auburn." It was really confusing to me because first off. I know that we've talked about a matchup potentially between UCF and Auburn this year and how difficult that would be. But if you make an SEC program mad like that and you if they were playing this year, he could come get his tail beat anytime. All right. Second thing, does he not know that it's bow time? 
We have officially struck a deal <laughs> with Bojangles. Bo Nix is out here thriving, man. Congratulations, by the way, Nix, on your engagement. Also, you got that awesome deal with Bojangles. Had some Bojangles yesterday. Literally after I realized that he had gotten that deal, I went after the show and I got some Bojangles. It was good. Chicken sandwich was good. We could not recommend it enough. It is bow time. Big Cat Bryant would be walking into a situation where he, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand the mojo that Auburn's got right now. But what I mean by confusing is that you and I were talking about this off air a little bit before the show. It's like, what do you have against Auburn? Who hurt you, bro? It's like, why? It was like, it's the, it, it, the coaching staff at UCF, you went with them. You went with Malzahn. You went with those guys. So what do you have against Auburn? It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either because like you said he followed Malzahn there so it can't be a coaching staff thing and he played for three or four seasons Auburn stuck with him through thick and thin even when he was hurt they were letting this man play and you, you, you go back to that Georgia game, and I before I even knew that Big Cat made the comments, I'd said on Thursday or Friday show, I said on Monday and Tuesday show at different points, talking about that Georgia game gives me nightmares still because I remember Big Cat Bryant getting around the corner and taking a horrible angle at Stetson Bennett and just not getting home. And that was just kind of the epitome of his career. That was before I realized that he made those comments. The, sta- the same is true. Like you just said, they stuck with him. They let him play. He de- he never really amounted to anything. Wasn't he a five star coming out of high school? Four star, big four star. Okay, borderline five though. But I'm with you. You're making great points. Keep going. I, I'm just I'm just really confused as to how he could be upset with with his his time at Auburn because you get to this program. You're a highly touted recruit, right? You're coming into this program. Auburn's saying that they're going to use you. They need a new Jeff Holland-style guy coming off the edge. They need somebody that can actually get home, and they let Big Cat Bryant do his thing. They let him stick with the program for three years. Like you said, they actually let him have playing time, and then he leaves the program, and he just kind of throws it under the bus. He, He leaves with a coaching staff that he was with for three years at Auburn, and he throws it under the bus. Does he not like his teammates? Does he not like the culture? I don't know. I mean, if you're with a program for three years, I would think that you actually enjoyed the culture. Yeah, it it was totally befuddling for me, 100%. I was shocked that he made the comment. I didn't realize that maybe there was some type of beef there. Maybe there's not. Maybe we're all just blowing this way out of proportion. But I don't think that the comment was made in a good way. I, I don't think... I didn't take it in a positive way, and a lot of other Auburn players have come out and tweeted, and they, they too, have not taken it in a good way. I know Ladarius Owens didn't take it in a positive way. I think I saw... Smoke Monday. That's put right. a TikTok out about it. So, obviously, I, I, I'm a little shocked that the comment was made, but, you know... Any final thoughts on it before we go to the phone lines? No, I just, I just am so confused. I'm like, I don't understand how this program hurt him because he left with the guys that brought him there. I just, I don't, I don't understand. Let's head to the phone lines now. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Who do we have? Hello. Uh, this is Ed. This is Ed. Oh, Ed, how's it Hello? going? I, I'm doing good. I, hey, guys, I did. I thought you were asking somebody else. Who, but yeah, this is. Uh, hey, I, I agree with y'all 100 percent on this. L- let me tell you, uh, the guy came in. Uh, he uh, and I, I tried to make this point earlier on the show. This early, I, I'm not getting into their show right now, but uh, I, I will call back or later on that. But okay. all right, we're supposed to take his advice on something and 
he's having problems here, and he follows Gus to see if he had went to, uh, you know, if he's about to start next year for uh, Hall State or something, then his word means something. All this is that, you know, this is just so childish to me, and it means so little. What he is saying is that he went to, he followed a coach who got great recruits. We always had good recruiting classes, but that you know we couldn't do it. And he followed that coaching staff that couldn't do a dang thing with the people they got, and he followed them to Central Florida. Now you tell me who's the idiot here, War Eagle guys. I appreciate y'all letting me vent. Appreciate it, Ed. That was Ed on the line with us. If you want to call in three three four three two one thirteen ninety, I imagine there's some Auburn folks that want to vent just like Ed did. I want to. I want to go through. So you, you can't blame this on playing time. You can't blame it on the coaching staff not giving you an opportunity, obviously, left with him. As a true freshman, uh, he was he was listed at second on the depth chart at, at defensive end. He was uh, SEC all-freshman team on uh, the defensive line. Uh, he had two tackles, five uh, half of a tackle for a loss against Mercer, a five-yard sack, two tackles and a forced bumble against Mississippi State, a sack against Arkansas in 2018. He was a reserve defensive end again, 18 tackles, a sack against Alabama State. Uh, first career start came against Southern Miss. He had a sack, a pass breakup, and a, hurry, a quarterback hurry versus Tennessee. He was ejected from the Georgia game for targeting in 2018. He had a sack and a forced fumble against Liberty and then scored, obviously, on that 20-yard interception against Purdue in the Music City Bowl. 2019, he had 16 tackles, nine quarterback hurries for the season, an 83-yard fumble recovery against Oregon. And then last season, he was a starter at defensive end, second-team All-SEC, voted as, as a captain, 56 career tackles, uh, got hurt against Kentucky. The dude has gotten playing time, and he he is he's not been the performer that everybody thought he would be. But he still got playing time. He can't be mad at. The I just don't know what staff. the basis is because yeah. you followed the coaching staff, so you can't blame it on them. My question is: Is he mad at maybe other players that got more playing time than him because he was a reserve guy for three years? It's like, well, you you can't blame it on the fact that Auburn. Oh no, man! Great... I think he started a lot too, yeah, though, he, he especially did, at the end. He did for the for the last year and a half. He he got to actually start for the Tigers uh, consistently. So I I don't know what to attribute this to. Uh, it maybe, but at the same time, though, if you're in that position, you can't say, yeah, we can't. We, we can't go out there and compete with the SEC if you're a UCF player. But also, why would you call out your former school specifically? It's like they didn't ask. And considering that your current head coach was your yeah. head coach there. It's like they didn't ask you, do you think you could beat Auburn? They just asked, would you be competitive and would you be competitive in the SEC? It's like, yeah, actually, I think we would whip up on specifically Auburn. doesn't make sense. And then he mentioned Ole Miss for a little bit. Once again, these are comments that I'm just trying to take at face value and move on from it and say, ah, this isn't that big of a deal. This is just preseason stuff. Move on. It's just, you know, he he made a comment. It's it's not that big of a deal. Just go out there and prove it on the football field. And I am kind of curious what people's thoughts on UCF versus Auburn this year is in terms of win total and whatnot. That'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I, I, I just it, – it just doesn't – my issue with it is like, dude, you didn't have – you don't have a leg to stand on to make these comments. Yeah. And why did you take the shot at Auburn? Why not say, oh, yeah, we definitely beat Arkansas. We would definitely beat Vanderbilt. We yeah. would definitely beat Ole Miss, which you did mention Ole Miss. But some of the other lower-tier SEC schools, why Auburn? That's the big question that I have. Yeah. So doesn't just doesn't make sense whatsoever. Positive news today, though. 
Auburn got a recruit. Jacoby Albert. Let's go. Uh, a three-star kid out of Fair, Fairfield, Alabama. He's a borderline four-star. He's like right there. He's like .89 in the 27 sports recruiting rankings. If he has a good senior season, I can see him easily getting to a four-star. I mean, he is like right there. He's Auburn's best three-star prospect in this class already. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State also offered him. Eight other SEC schools in to- total offered this kid. Auburn right now sitting at 59th in the country and still 14th in the SEC in terms of recruiting rankings per 24-7 sports. This kid's a 5'11", 175-pound athlete. He's listed as an athlete. I think Auburn's going to try and use him as receiver. I don't know. Um, he could play either side Safety's of the ball. Safety's where he's going to play. Yeah, I was listening to the Max Roundtable earlier, and, and Zach Blackerby, the Locked On Auburn podcast, was talking with him. He's like, I don't really like it whenever Auburn brings in, or when, when any school brings in this type of athlete type of player because you don't know what their their role is because I feel like they can kind of get lost in the shuffle real easily. They can get lost in the depth chart, and then that's a waste of a four-star kid. It's like, But I, I do really like the playmaking ability that he has on both sides of the ball. So I'm excited. Uh, if he's playing safety, absolutely, we could use depth there. If he's playing wide receiver, absolutely, we could use some depth there. If he's a return guy, love to have him there as well. Well, Christian Clemente had an article on AuburnSports.com but people want to know more about Jacoby Albert's commitment. And the idea is that he's going to play safety. At least that's what's included in that article. So once again, go and check that out, AuburnSports.com. This is the highest ranked three-star in the state of Alabama, 14th overall prospect in the state. This is a good get for Auburn. Auburn's been locked out pretty much of the top 10 players in this state. It's been pretty much all Bama commits when you're looking at there. And then a couple of guys going to Miami, a couple of guys going to Oregon here and there. But mainly it's been Alabama players in the top 10. This is a good get for Auburn, getting Caden Story just outside the top 10, and then also getting Jacoby Albert. Auburn's trying to generate some momentum here. Still last in the SEC. Where are they at on the traffic light of recruiting as we go back to that metaphor? I think they're still at yellow, and I don't think at this point there's any concern for them to be red. I mean, they've picked up seven commits in the last month. I would say that they're really starting to pick it up on the recruiting trail. Now, they're not the five-star guys, but as we talked all offseason, they're not going to get those guys. This coaching staff missed miss the, uh, miss the train on that one, and they're going to get those guys in the 2022 class. They're recruiting those guys right now. They're having Tw- them on 2023, campus. 2023, you mean? 2023, I'm sorry. But you look at the 24-7 sports recruiting link- rankings obviously Auburn's last but you look at the average you look at the average points per recruit Auburn's like eight or ninth in the SEC right now they're moving their way up so I'm at least I'm, an average recruit rating right so you look at Ole Miss which is sitting right in front of them they have 10 commits three th- uh, four stars six three stars Kentucky has four and six Vanderbilt sitting at 11th in the SEC they've got 18 or 19 commits and 18 of them are three stars the only reason Vanderbilt's not sitting at dead last is because they just have so many that's the way the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings work the more commitments they have you have the higher you're going to be in your conference so if Auburn starts to pick up some recruits, maybe a couple more four-stars, I really like the Jacoby Albert come in. I think he is going to be a four-star when it's all said and done. Auburn's going to work their way up. And we've also talked about the transfer portal being a, being a factor in all of this. So I'm sitting at yellow. I don't think there's any reason to seriously panic, but I'm going to sit at ca- uh, cautious until Auburn gets that big guy or the I guess the class is over, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't think that they can ever make their way to green because of the evident recruiting strategy that Auburn is employing this year. They're not going after the high-profile four and fives. Of course, there is a couple of high-profile fours on their board, like a Curtis Perry, but 
that's a Bamaline, right? It's it's like you're not expecting to get those guys in this class. 2023 you are, 2024 and on you are, but that doesn't appear to be their major strategy this year as they're trying to build relationships with these in-state and, the, and their other pipeline recruits, Georgia, Florida. They're still trying to build those relationships with those types of players and that, that is the juniors. Those are the sophomores that they're building those relationships, not this class. And so I, I don't think that I can ever say that Auburn's going to get into the, the green territory on our traffic light of recruiting. But I think that this is the moment where they are the furthest away from red that we've seen them. They've got real yes. momentum here on the trail. Yes, absolutely. Especially in the last month. Let's see if they can capitalize on it moving into the fall. I'm seeing more and more recruits as well recruiting on social media. Damari Austin, since he's joined the class, I'm seeing tweets all over the place. Yeah, and him and Holden Jariner. I mean, Holden G has been and it been all over the place on Twitter for Auburn. Every single time I see a recruit, uh, Holden has quote tweeted it and be like, hey, you should come to Auburn. They, they, The guys that Auburn has in this, in this year's class are going out there and they're doing the work for this 2023 class. I know Auburn has their eyes on two five-star offensive tackles right now. I would like to see them get one of those guys. I know they've got their eyes on a couple of other really talented prospects. Darius Clemens, the four-star receiver. That would be the hallmark player of this class if they were to land him. Auburn is is in his top three along with Penn State and Oregon, I believe. So Auburn's got a lot of promising guys in this next year's class. I'm just going to be interested to see if they can actually land some of them, and I believe they will. Let's head to a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. The number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Fun first segment there. Big Cat Bryant's got jokes. Auburn also landing Jacoby Albert. Big recruiting get for Auburn. A lot to talk about here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Back from Disney World, and now let's get back into preseason conjecture, preseason discourse, ranking our top five most important players for Auburn in 2021. You want to start at the bottom and work our way up? Yeah, let's go with that. Five. All right. At number five, I have Bo Nix. The reason I do not have Bo Nix higher on this list, I think he is. I think he is valuable, but in terms of importance. If, if Bo Nix either can't get the job done or is injured, which I'm not saying either of those things are going to happen, but if they were, I'm confident in the reserves that Auburn has, the two and the three deep that they have at, at quarterback compared to maybe another guy that I have on this list, and we'll get to him later. I think Bo Nix is going to need to be important for this team in order to have success this season. He's going to have to show significant progress as a passer. He's going to mechanically have to improve. We've talked about all these different things all, all this offseason. He's just going to have to be a better quarterback. He's got to have better road and road home and road splits. He's got to be better on the road. He's got to stop cutting he's got to start cutting down on the turnovers. We're going to get to see that against Penn State and LSU early on in the season. So number five, Bo Nix. Fifth most important player on this roster. He's going to have to be good in order for Auburn to be good this season. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line, once again, 334-564-1840. Rank your top five most important players for Auburn in 2021. Five on my list, Owen Papo. And I filled out one through four really easily. And I, I may have looked at it a little bit differently than you did 
Owen Papo sits in at five for me, and, and I was having a hard time figuring out who this five spot would be. The only player on the defensive side of the football that I have on my list is Owen Papo. Now, that's not to say that the defensive side of the ball isn't important, but I looked at it a little bit differently than maybe you did. And, and the way that I looked at it was, who are the five most important players that Auburn needs in order to take the next step this year? And so a lot of that was based on improvement. Now, I don't know how much better Owen Papo can get. I think he could just all around maybe put together a full and complete season this year as he enters his third year on the Plains. And then NFL teams will take a look at him and be like, man, this guy can cover. He's fast. Supposedly runs a you know, sub 4-4-40, which I don't know if I totally believe. But still, the, the guy is an all-around linebacker, the modern linebacker in today's game. I think there's one player you look at the defensive side of the ball, and if Auburn were to lose that player to injury, the defense would take a significant hit. And I mean a bigger hit than any other player, and it would be Owen Papo. I think that's fair. I had Papo as my sixth guy out, or if six, if we were con- going to continue down into a top ten, he would have been my number six guy. I just, I really like all these linebackers. He's interchangeable with a with a with the other linebacker that I have on my my list at number four. I have whoever starts at left tackle. Auburn has struggled to keep Bo Nix in the pocket both in 2019 and 2020. And Auburn needs somebody besides Alec Jackson to step up in that position in my mind. In my mind, he has run his course. So you ask the question, who would those guys be? Brendan Coffey and Killian Zaire were recruited to Auburn in 2020 because the Tigers needed help right away at offensive tackle, but either didn't get to go through a normal offseason due to COVID, and Zaire was even further set back by an ACL injury, uh, he, he suffered toward the end of his Juco season. Both Coffey and Zaire have been able to navigate through this entire offseason without getting injured. They're both physically imposing presences who have get, gotten to uh, get a little bit more work on the, uh, and work their way up on the depth chart at the end of spring pra- practices, and they've all already been impressive at the Juco level. Even if Coffey and Zaire don't break into the starting lineup in 2021 and Alec Jackson is that guy, I'm really confident that Auburn is going to need them to step up Auburn needs depth at that position. Injuries happen all the time on on offensive line. We saw that last season uh, all throughout the offensive line. Brandon Council was a guy that's been out uh, for the spring. Auburn's going to need somebody to step up at that tackle position. I don't, in my mind, it's not Alec Jackson. I'd like to see Zaire or Coffee get in. Zaire sitting like 6'7", 6'8", really big imposing presence there. If I were to choose somebody, I'd go with him right now. Four on this list for me, Nick Brahms. This is where I go into the offensive line area I think Nick Brahms has less, I actually have my left tackle position much higher up on my list of importance here, and we'll get to that later. And the reason why I have it much higher up is because I believe that that is of more importance for Auburn to take the next step this year and to get better than they were last season. Bo Nix needs someone protecting his blind side. You look at Nick Brahms, Nick Brahms still extremely important, extremely integral to this season for Auburn and their success because Auburn needs that strong, sound presence in the interior of the offensive line, making the checks, leading the offensive line. This guy was listed as a first-team All-SEC selection in the preseason by the SEC media. Now, if All-SEC centers were available to be selected for that, would he still be first-team? I don't know. I still think he would have got onto a preseason team. I I think he is a top-three, top-four center 
in the SEC this year, and I expect him to get better, but he needs to take an even further step than he did last year, which I do think we saw improvement from him, but he needs to get even better this year, especially in run blocking the interior. We've seen in games against your better defenses in the league, Georgia, Alabama, those types of teams, LSU over the years, Auburn just struggled to get to the second level and take linebackers out of the equation. To not allow them to fill those gaps, you've got to get to the second level in a zone blocking scheme, and I, and I think that's what you see Auburn do a lot this upcoming year. I'm hoping Nick Brahms can shore up the interior at the center position, a position that really has not been solid since 2017. If you asked Auburn fans... To put if they wanted to put an Auburn offensive lineman on any all SEC team, they would probably say no. I'm not putting anybody. I'm not even putting Nick Brahms. But I agree with you. Last season he showed progress as a center, but he's going to have to make even more development as a player this season. And we've talked about it with this coaching staff. What do they do really well? They develop players. Let's see if they can get Nick Brahms, a former four-star guy, heading in the right direction. I think he is really important for this Auburn offense as well. You need, you could say the entire offensive line and I'd be fine with it, but if you're pointing out two specific positions, I would say left tackle and center are the most important for Auburn. Nick Brahms is another really good selection. Go ahead and give your three before we go to break. My number three is Zacoby McLean. He had 113 tackles last season, and Auburn's going to have to do a better job of stopping the running game at the line of scrimmage, but McLean will always be there to make sure that it is stopped at the second level. I'm very confident in his ability to cover as well. I think this guy is one of Auburn's best all-around linebackers. Obviously, you have Owen Papo, who is freakishly athletic. Both those guys, I think it's the, it's one of the best tandems in the SEC. But Auburn with Zacoby McLean, I want him in there on every single play if I can. Like you said with Papo, if Auburn loses him, I think they take a significant step back. I, I agree, and at the same time, if they lose Zacoby McLean, I think they would also take a significant step back because this guy was getting to the ball as good as anybody in the SEC last season. He was bringing out guys. He was making sure that the runs, runs were stopped at the second level. I think he is very important heading into his senior season. I think Auburn loses maybe a little bit more beyond run stopping if they were to lose Owen Papo. That's why Papo ended up on my list and not Zacoby McLean. But that's not to say Zacoby McLean is not an exceptional linebacker. I just think what he primarily offers Auburn is run stopping and plugging the gaps rather than being the true vocal leader of the defense and I think that says a lot when you say that Owen Papo was taking the media days and not Jacoby McClain but that's nothing against McClain still an exceptional linebacker let's take a quick break here when we come back we talk with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes through the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the line. Jeremy, appreciate you, my man. Typically, we have you on a Monday or Friday. Thanks for joining us in the middle of your work week. How are you doing today? Doing well. Couldn't make it Monday, guys. I was just getting back from Destin, back in the office yesterday. But glad to be on the show. A lot's happening in college football. Players reporting this week. Some people practicing at the end of the week. Uh, it's going to be fun. It means we're really getting towards football season. 
Jeremy Fall Camp beginning this week for Alabama or coming up sooner rather than later. What are the main storylines? I think the main storylines are going to be replacing Steve Sarkeesian. What is this Alabama offense going to look like? Listen, you know it's going to be versatile. You know they have some of the best talent in the country. Can Bill O'Brien keep this engine running at a similar level to what Steve Sarkeesian was able to do over the last two years? And Make no mistake about it, I'm not sure many people are expecting to see Mac Jones type production that he had with Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and John Mechie. But I do expect this Alabama offense to be once again balanced when it needs to be, which is what Nick Saban would say. When we want to run, we can run. When we want to pass, we can pass. And you can say Alabama's numbers didn't line up as balanced last year. Towards the end of the year when that offense was humming, when they wanted to run with Najee Harris, they did. And when they wanted to throw it, they did. I think that's the big key. Can Bill O'Brien keep this offense going? You already know what you have on defense. All of your linebackers are first-team SEC. You put all your starters on the um, preseason SEC list or whatever it was. So you know what you're getting on defense. I think the storyline is the offense, replacing Mac Jones, replacing Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs from the last two years. Who steps up outside of John Matthew? There's a lot going on on offense, but you know what you're getting on defense. I will say, though, when you look at the defense, if there is a concern for me, it's the fact that Bama was 70th nationally in passing yards allowed per game last season. What are you hearing about this secondary? I mean, they've got a lot of talent there, absolutely, especially with some really talented freshmen coming in. What are the storylines surrounding those guys? How are they preparing mentally uh, to, be, to be better than they were last season? I think one thing to look at, um, passing yards can be skewed when everybody you're playing is down by 30 and it's the middle of the third quarter and they're just trying to stay alive and keep pace. Um, teams didn't run the football against Alabama last year. They were down and down early, and they had to keep pace knowing that if Alabama gets the football five times, they're probably going to have at least at least 28 points. Um, Pat, those passing numbers, a little skewed. Listen, you're losing Patrick Sertan, um, one of the best corners in all of college football. You get Kool-Aid to step in. You have Job on the other side. Jordan Battle, Daniel Wright, um, Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, I mean, people are questioning this Alabama secondary, and I just don't quite understand it. Every single one of those guys that just reeled off are household names, and a lot of people are maybe putting other secondaries in this conference um, above those. I know not everybody's proven, but Jordan Battle played a lot of football last year. Brian Branch played a lot of football last year. Malachi Moore, if he's not injured, he's playing in every single game as a true freshman. Job. I mean, he's a guy that's played a lot of football as well. So, I mean, this Alabama secondary, I think, is battle-tested. Yeah, it really hurts to lose a guy like Patrick Sertan because he locks down half the field, maybe even more. But this Alabama secondary is going to do just fine. And, listen, it it might take a game or two to come together, just like it did early last year for this defense. But in the back end, the front seven is going to be absolutely fine. But the back end of that defense will be ready to go before Alabama starts really facing some tests. True or false, this is the best defense in the entire country. We're going to have to wait and see. I'm I'm not going to say it's true nor false, but you're also talking about there are some teams that have recruited at Alabama's level over the last four years, Clemson's, Ohio State's, Georgia's. Kirby Smart's one of the best defensive minds in college football. Davo Swinney's defense, it seems like, you know, every other year he just has a loaded defense. He's got a Brian Breesey coming off the edge who everybody's picking – 
him and uh, Thibodeau at Oregon to be the two best defensive ends probably in college football alongside Will Anderson, probably 1A, 1B, 1C. Um, those guys, and they're going to have great defenses. I think Ohio State's defense last year was pretty good regardless of what Alabama was able to do to them in the national title game. That's probably more an anomaly for them. But they're going to be up there. They're, they're probably going to be top five. They're probably going to give up a lot of passing yards because teams are going to throw the ball against them nonstop because they're going to be putting up a lot of points if Bill O'Brien can keep that offense at just a similar level to what Steve Sarkeesian, Mac Jones, and Devontae Smith were able to do last year. Speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, is Alabama your preseason number one? They're my preseason number one, but listen, there are, there's a lot of questions. We've Alabama's had quarterback hype before. They've had Blake Barnett. They had Jalen Hurts for a second year. They had Tua, and you know Tua's shining moment happened coming off the bench. I mean, two more years as a starter, Alabama doesn't win a national title. They've had guys run out there at quarterback, i.e., you know Blake Barnett, and not able to produce. And he was the Elite Eleven winner. Um, I'm not. I don't think Bryce Young is that guy. But what happens when the light turns on? You're in front of a hundred thousand people in Brian Denny Stadium, or in, you know, in Jordan Hare late in the year. You just don't know. They're in the swamp early as well. I mean, what happens when that moment finally comes? I think Blake Bar. I mean, excuse me, Bryce Young will be fine, um, but it's just tough to tell. Listen, across just one state over, JT Daniels and Georgia. That offense is supposed to be really good. If George Pickens doesn't tear his ACL in spring, they may have the best receivers maybe in all of college football with a veteran-type quarterback and JT Daniels throwing to him. Ohio State, we'll see about their quarterback situation. I think their prized recruit is thinking about skipping or announced that he will skip his senior year and have a chance to play and be immediately eligible at Ohio State this year to play quarterback. Um, There's a lot of teams out there, and don't sleep on Dabo Swinney. He's going to have a good defense. He's going to have a good quarterback in uh, DJ Ungalalele. Um, and some really good receivers. So um, uh, I think that Alabama's playoff caliber for sure, they're probably going to be in the playoff. Are they the absolute best team in the country right now? That's just tough to say. You mentioned that week three game on the road at Florida, and I posed this question to an Alabama guy yesterday, and I want to ask you the same thing. Which game is more difficult for Alabama, the opener against Miami or that week three matchup against Florida? funny you asked that I was talking to somebody about this this morning and I was saying that you know when Alabama scheduled Miami three years ago you know everybody's laughing Alabama's just playing a bottom tier ACC school trying to get an early win while it doesn't look like they played a non-power five school earlier in the year trying to pad their schedule and strength of conference I mean a strength of schedule by playing an ACC team versus playing a Western Carolina or so what but I think you look at it now with the quarterback dynamic Derek King's going to be one of the most exciting players, or at least projected to be by a lot of the talking heads, in college football this year. And Cal Trask is gone. Emory Jones, he's played a lot of football. He's come in in mostly, you know, third and two situations where he's going to run the football off tackle or take it right up the middle off his own read fake. Um, more challenging, I think Alabama wins both of those games, but you just never know early in the year, week one, you're playing a guy who can run it and they can throw it, and Derek King – I don't know, that week one for Alabama could get a little testy, at least through two and a half, three quarters. I think Alabama has a talent, however, to go into the swamp without Kyle Trask playing quarterback for Florida and probably take that. I'd set that one at about 16 and a half right now, and you can take either side of that. I'd probably take Alabama at 17-plus in the swamp. 
But Alabama and Miami, I think that could be a little tough early because you just don't know what you're going to see from Miami. These early season games are always tough to determine. Later on in the show, we're going to play a variation of start, bench, cut yet again. Today, we're asking in, out, or on the fence. I'm about to give you three teams. One of these teams I want to know, are you bought in completely? The other team, are you on the fence? And the other team, you out on? Now, I understand you could be in on all three of these teams, but you're going to pretty much have to rank them here. Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson. That's the top three in ESPN's preseason power rankings. Are you in, out, on the fence? You got to choose one for each of those teams. What are you thinking? For playoff purposes, getting in the playoff, or are we just talking lifting the trophy into the year? Let's say lifting the trophy at the end of the year. Okay, listen, there's no proof that Oklahoma can win one of these. They have yet to make it to the national title game. They keep getting bounced in the first round and sometimes pretty handily. Even when they had a quarterback as, as, as good as Kyler Murray, they really just weren't even in that game. Listen, I'm in on Alabama. I'm on the fence about Clemson, although I still think they're in the college football playoff and win the ACC uh, probably pretty easily. I'm going to be out on Oklahoma. Listen, they're going to win the Big 12 uh, for what feels like the millionth year in a row. But what do they have that can get them to the national title game? Everybody's predicting that they have a good defense. Is that by Big 12 standards? Is that by just a national standard? They have a good quarterback who's kind of up and down in Spencer Rattler. He got benched last year, gets off the bench, plays great at the end of the year. I'm going to be out on Oklahoma, in on Alabama, and on the fence about the Clemson Tigers and Dabo Swinney. All right, let's take a different SEC team then. Oklahoma, Clemson, and Georgia. If, if you go make the college football playoff, I'm in. I'm 100% in on Oklahoma. Since Clemson, I'm going to be out on Georgia. i got to see Georgia do it again. Listen, Kirby Smart and, and Mark Rick have an identical, an identical career through the same amount of time that they were at Georgia – can Kirby Smart do it um, this year? It's gonna. I, I think that if he can't get it done this year, it's gonna be. There's gonna be a lot of critics out there not calling for Kirby's job, but there's gonna be a lot of critics out there kind of picking on the Georgia Bulldogs if Kirby Smart can't make the college football playoff this year, and maybe if he's not lifting the trophy at the end of the year. Jeremy, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at IMJ underscore law. Guys, always great to join the show. One of the best shows in sports radio in the state. Appreciate it, my man. And we're going to end on that note right there. We'll be back in just a moment. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us on the line in that previous segment Great insights. Lance, we didn't really talk about what he said that much. What was your major takeaway? Well, I wanted to see what his take was on this defense. He said, to start it off, he's like, the defense is not the concern for me. I asked him about the secondary. He's like, well, even then, that's really not a concern for me. So I wanted to know, is this Crimson Tide defense then the best in all of the land? I wanted to ask that same question to Luke Robinson yesterday. Didn't get the time because I believe that this Crimson Tide roster defensively has the ability to do just that, be the best defense in the country. That was not me trying to press him into making a bigger claim than what he was already stating I truly believe that they have the ability to do that this season just saw a picture of Jarquez Hunter in an Auburn jersey online wearing that number 27 looks good does look good he doesn't look like a freshman this guy's yoked 
He is he is a physical specimen. Are you looking at what I'm looking at? Do you see this picture? I saw it earlier on Instagram. I'm pulling it up right now. This is wild. He is jacked. Jarquez Hunter does not look like a freshman. I was about to say, he doesn't look necessarily like a running back. He looks like a linebacker type of build, type of guy when you look at him. It's like, is he larger than Owen Papo? <laughs> <laughs> does, man, Seriously. <laughs> does, not look like, does not look like a freshman. No, not at all. Let's go back to ranking our top five most important players in, or at least on, the Auburn Tigers for 2021. I don't know why I was drawing a blank there. Ranking our top five most important players for Auburn in 2021. We're on to the third on my list now. This is where Tank Bigsby comes in for me. Now, I'm all offensive players from here out. And I was having to judge Tank Bigsby between Bo Nix, Alec Jackson, slash Austin Troxel. Tank Bigsby is incredibly important for Auburn this year. If he were to go down with an injury, Auburn's hopes at being a much better football team this year, I think, take a substantial hit. I don't know if it's over with, but I definitely think that it's it's looking like a dire situation, especially with Auburn's lack of depth at the running back position. Tank Bigsby is going to have to be really good this year for Auburn to exceed expectations in college football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's way too valuable to this team. At number two, I have Roger McCreary. Think, I think he's the best cover corner on Auburn's roster. I don't think there's a whole lot of arguing with that. If Auburn has to go to their number two option at corner, which I think depth chart-wise, if you're looking at where they're going to play on the field, I think Jalen Simpson backs him up. Now, I'm not saying he's the best. I think Dreshawn Miller's going to be on the other side of him. I'm not saying Jalen is the second-best corner on this team. I'm just saying he backs him up. If they go to Miller or if they do go to Jalen Simpson or if they do go to another guy, I'm confident in this roster to fill that hole, but it's really, really hard to, to, to play like Roger McCreary. I mean, he is exceptional. He's Auburn's best cover corner hands down. So to lose him potentially, um, it would give it wouldn't give me a whole lot of pause again because of the depth in the secondary. But I would have my concerns because he locks them down. Number two on my list, I go to the left tackle position, and I think it is either Alec Jackson or Austin Troxel. It should be one of those two starting when it's all said and done when we take the field on September fourth. Which, by the way, Lance, I know you're excited about this. Only a month away. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is. We uh, every single time I've opened the show, I'll be like, "Oh, by the way, we're like four weeks out from week zero. I just want everybody to know that uh, it's going to be the. It's literally the best time of the year. Just want y'all to be aware of that. Yesterday, I, all I, I was sitting there while I was prepping for the show, and all I could think was like, "Man, I know it's still going to be hot whenever we kick off September fourth, but I cannot wait to get back to that fall weather. College football Saturdays in October, November. Cannot wait. Month away. Let's go." I went with Alec Jackson or Austin Troxel once again. The perspective of my list has been, how does Auburn get better this year? And if you think that left tackle or, or that part of the offensive line didn't need improvement last year, I'm sorry, man. Go back and watch the film. Go back and watch them play. Because constantly, Bo Nix was seeing pressure and getting flushed out to his right because of the pressure coming from his left. Left tackle's got to improve, whether it's Alec Jackson or Austin Troxel, second most important player for Auburn next season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Alec Jackson. Um, Coffey, Zaire, Troxel, any of those guys, I would be really happy if they stepped in uh, just to see him him play. My number one guy is Tank Bixby, Auburn's most valuable player, the most important player in my opinion. He has to stay healthy in order for Auburn to have sustained success this season. Like you said, if he goes out, I'm really concerned with the depth that we have at running back. Of course, we just saw what Jarquez Hunter looks like as a freshman, so I'm excited to see him 
get a couple of touches this season, but still there's not a lot of depth at that position right now for Auburn. If he goes out, really concerned with the way this offense operates. I'm looking for him to be consistent and to be the rock that Auburn leans on in their early road test against Penn State and LSU. I don't think Bo Nix is going to have all the answers immediately on the road in those games. I don't think the receivers are going to have the answer immediately in all those road games. So what is Auburn going to have to do? They're going to have to be able to get the ground game going a little bit, and they're going to get let Tank Bigsby do what Tank Bigsby does, which is break tackles and get first downs, and that will open up the offense to the passing game, I believe, in those really tough road games. So looking for him to stay healthy looking for him to be consistent in those early road matchups and just please to hold on for the entire season. I know he had issues last season. He can easily crack a thousand if he's healthy. Oh, he could crack 1500 if he's healthy. I think a thousands after 10 games and possibly after nine games. When you look at take Bigsby, you just hope that he doesn't get hurt. I went with Bo Nix at the top of my list. And I think once again, you look at the perspective of my list. How does Auburn get better? You're right. Auburn may not have the answers at quarterback or at wide receiver in the passing game. They may not have those answers early in the season, but they do have Tank Bigsby answered, right? You do know that the running game will be there. And so for me, if Auburn's going to be any different this year, Auburn's got to find those answers at quarterback and at wide receiver, and primarily Bo Nix at number one on my list. That's why I go with quarterback's the most important position on the field. And if Auburn's going to be better this year, Bo Nix has to be better and a lot better at that. And so that's why I ended up at the top of my list. I think it's that simple. I didn't even have to think about it. That was the that was quick, easy, painless. Put him at number one. I didn't have to think about it whatsoever. If Auburn's going to go into Happy Valley, Bo Nix has to play well. He can't turn the ball over. I, I don't think turnovers can happen. I, I think he's got to. You know, he doesn't have to have a stellar game because I think Auburn against Penn State, looking at the the matchups, you could run your way to victory in that one. But I, he still has to protect the football, and I, and I think he's got to at least have a semblance of a passing game. And the same thing has to be said when you go into Death Valley and you play at LSU. Those those first two get those first two big games of the season. If you don't if you don't see a better Bo Nix, if he if he doesn't play his best road games that he's ever played, Auburn doesn't win those games. You talk about the passing game. If we were going to do a top ten version of this list, would a receiver make your list? That would be really tough to put him in the top ten. But would somebody like Robertson maybe as far yes. as importance? I would get one receiver into my list, but if we go to a top 10, I'd start, I'd add a lot more defensive players. Cause yeah. like I said, I only have one defensive player on my list. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it would be tough to kind of slide him in there, but I think Demetrius Robertson is valuable to Auburn this season. Just without a doubt experience, talent. The, the interesting important. thing about the receiver room is Auburn's had great football teams without having great receivers. They have. Plenty of simple. Now, some of their best teams, they've had great receivers emerge. 2013, we didn't know that. And then they became great receivers, right? Sammy yeah. Coates really emerged. You also talk about Duke Williams the next year in 2014. I don't think that it's necessary, but I definitely think it helps. That's it for hour number one. We'll be back in just a few moments. the line 
Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wednesday edition of the show. We thank you for joining us. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind. Big Cat Bryant has some jokes. We ranked our top five most important players for Auburn in 2021, as well as speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here in that first hour of online. If you missed it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered once again. That's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Starting off hour number two with our preseason depth chart series, tight ends. Lance? Are we working our way from uh, down to let's let's start at the top? Yeah, Should let's we? start at the top. At number one, the guy that I believe will start is John Samuel Schenker, simply because I think he's he's been the guy for Auburn for the past two seasons. 2019, uh, he caught a six-yard touchdown pass from Joey Gatewood at Texas A&M. We all remember that little rollout pass. I believe it was in 2018. He caught that trick play touchdown against yeah against Georgia early on from Whitlow. Caught that pass from him. And then last season, he was the starting tight end for the majority of the season, caught that two-point conversion pass against Kentucky, and then had a couple receptions here and there throughout the season. And then I think he's Auburn's, in terms of pass catchers, excluding Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers, I think he's Auburn's leading pass catcher returning on roster. Uh, I might, in terms of, yeah, yards and receptions, I might be wrong on that. I believe we've talked about that a little bit before on the show. Does not mean he's the most reliable pass catcher in the world, but I think we're going to see him start simply because he's the veteran guy in the room. On top of that, I think he possesses the most all-around talent at tight end between ability to block and ability to catch, and he'll be asked to do both of those things. You can move him around anywhere. I don't think you really see him at the slot, and I don't know how often Auburn will use a tight end in the slot this year. I remember looking at Pro Football Focus's stats on Auburn, and I don't have this in front of me directly at the moment, but I know that Auburn was, or excuse me, not Auburn, Boise State was top 25, top 30 in the country in five-man protection last year, meaning that they were sending out four or five guys out to to, to catch a pass, right? They, they weren't having a running back blocking. They weren't having a tight end blocking. They were sending five guys out to go and catch a pass and to run routes. Boise State was not averse to flooding the field with the receivers whether it be running backs or tight ends now I don't know if we see I don't don't know if Auburn's got the personnel to do that yet with the tight end out of the slot now I think as you go down the depth chart you see players like Landon King that could offer you that out of the slot I don't know if John Samuel Shanker at his at his frame and the way that he moves he's not the most fleet of foot he's at 240 which is a good tight end size he's able to block and I think he can play on the line of scrimmage he can also play in an H-back role out of the backfield I like his all-around ability this coaching staff seems to really like him they they spoke really highly of him back during the spring John Samuel Shanker looks like he should be 
the shoe-in for Auburn at the top of the tight end depth chart. The question is, does he get surpassed by some of the people behind him that may be better receiving threats because they are maybe a little bit more fleet of foot. They maybe do possess a little bit more higher quality receiving qualities. Maybe, Maybe there are a couple of guys after that. I'm curious. Do you think so? I think there's definitely a possibility. I think Auburn definitely has pass catchers on this tie, uh, in this tight end group. You mentioned Landon King specifically. I think he's definitely uh, going to be a factor for Auburn in years to come. At my number two spot, I have Luke Deal. He's been able to play for Auburn for a couple of years. I believe he's only gotten two catches in his in uh, his entire career. Uh, with Auburn he's not been a factor in the passing game but he's been one of Auburn's better run blocking tight ends and that's the reason why I have him at number two on my list is I don't necessarily think he's going to get involved in the passing game per se but whenever whenever Auburn wants to uh, to run the ball a little bit more effectively I think that's a guy that we see out there often Luke Deal second on my list as well I mean a tight end has a real hierarchy to it that you can see but I think Luke Deal offers the ability to pass catch I think he offers you those I, I think he's another all-around tight end when you look at this roster, he's got a good frame, north of 240 pounds. He's got good height. He moves probably a little bit better than John Samuel Shanker. He looks more like an inline tight end than an H-back. And John Samuel Shanker's had to play that H-back role a lot, it seems like. Auburn hasn't used him like a traditional tight end, whereas Luke Deal has been and can be utilized that way. I think we see him get on the field a lot. I agree. I agree. I definitely, I definitely think that all these tight ends are going to get a shot at some point during the season. Again, because you, you, you talk about there are definitely pass catchers outside of Shinker that are maybe a little bit more versatile uh, than, 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 than uh, Shinker. So I definitely think uh, that we're going to get to see a lot of these guys rotate out. At my number three, I went back and forth on this one. Tyler Fromm is my number three guy. He has not caught a pass for Auburn yet in his freshman season. He was battling injuries. He played against LSU in, in 2020. Um, again, has not really been been a huge factor for Auburn, but at six five two forty, I think he's he's another one of these guys could, that could break out as a pass catching tight end. You look at what he did in the spring. He uh, he, had, I think it was the first play uh, from scrimmage. He caught that thirteen yard out route. Uh, one he had that one catch for thirteen yards in in the spring game. But I think he could be not not a staple, but I think he, we could see him more involved. Uh, in this in this Auburn offense from a pass catching standpoint as the season goes on and Auburn kind of figures out a hierarchy there at that tight end position I think you hit the nail on the head he's third on mine and, and then after this this is where maybe there's some questions on the tight end depth chart and that's what we're going through is our preseason depth chart series and we're, we're looking at the tight end position we'll go through every position group throughout the rest of the preseason of the fall camp for all the reasons that you suggested, Tyler Fromm at third really hasn't been able to carve out significant playing time for himself yet, but I think he possesses those tight end receiver qualities at 6'5", 240, moves pretty well. Go to four now. At number four, I have Landon King. King is tall, just like the other uh, tight ends in this in this uh, group, 6'5", had 39 receptions for 471 yards and five touchdowns as a senior in high school, and then had 53 receptions for 853 yards and nine touchdowns as a junior. Again, Auburn's not really involved the tight end in the passing game in the previous years, but I believe Mike Bobo's new system promises more targets toward the position, and I think if you're going to throw the ball this season and you're going to give all these different tight ends an, an opportunity to do so, I think Landon King is a guy that could potentially stand out. So he is my number four, buried on the depth chart, but I do think he'll get his opportunities and then in years to come. I think he'll, he'll be more of a factor. Go ahead and go to your last one because we have the same last two, and then I'll, I'll touch on both of them. My last guy is Brandon Frazier sitting at 6'7", 265 pounds out of McKinney, Texas. 
we really wanted this guy to step out last season and, and be somebody that we saw kind of play a C.J. Uzama type of role, I think, at least from, from my perspective. And we didn't really see that. Uh, he, he caught, what was it, a six-yard? He, he caught a pass against Mississippi State. I remember that, and it was nothing special. And then he caught a pass in the Citrus Bowl against Northwestern, and that was nothing really special. And then we just we didn't see anything from him. Malzahn wasn't really using, again, didn't use tight ends, didn't use Frazier. With his size, I would think that he would become more of a factor. But I also think there are other uh, tight ends on this roster that maybe are a little bit more versatile, maybe a little bit faster uh, than Brandon Frazier. So I have him at number five. We saw Landon King play quite a bit in the spring game. That's why I've got him at four. Also at 6'5", 214, I'm intrigued by that. That's like Kyle Pitts. Now, Kyle Pitts was larger than that, of course, but that speaks to a frame of a tight end that could play in the slot. That speaks to the frame of a tight end that could play receiver. 65214 tells me he can move. And I, I think that's the big that's the big plus about Landon King, why I like him at four, because I think he could find himself on the field in certain packages if he progresses nicely throughout fall camp and then throughout the season as well. And at five, Brandon Frazier. He ends up at fifth because he's kind of like the unicorn. This is like J.J. Begeese. He's the largest player in this group. How do you how do you create something for someone at 6'7", 267? Of course, he, he possesses a unique skill set at 6'7", 267. But is he better in all of the other areas that we've talked about with tight ends, receiving, run blocking, than the other guys in front of him on that list? He's had a hard time carving himself out playing time, but he did get some of it at the end of the season, especially in the Citrus Bowl, where he did have a catch. For a guy that that is sitting there at six seven, I would have thought that he would have been more of a factor last season, but we didn't see that. We saw Malzahn opt for other tight ends, and again, he was I a true freshman. I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see this coaching staff potentially opt for some other guys. Again, you go back to that spring game. Uh, Landon King was in there quite a bit. Tyler Fromm was in there for a little bit. So I think I think that we'll see multiple different guys at the position. But I think Brandon Frazier may get left out as the season goes on. Last season, he had a six-yard reception against Mississippi State and a seven-yard catch in the Citrus Bowl. His SEC first-year academic honor roll. Brandon Frazier, good player. Once again, I think this is a deep tight end room that can shock maybe some SEC teams with their production this upcoming year. Maybe catch a, a few of them off guard. As the year goes on, of course, there will be more film for other teams to have to account for. But I do think that there is talent in this receiver room or, or in this tight end room to, for there to be some receiving tight ends. I just hope that I just hope that Malzahn didn't didn't hinder some of these guys' development and that it's yeah. not too late, right? Yeah, I definitely think that that could be something that we also look at. You look at some of the other positions on roster, specifically the offensive line, and I think that's the question that we've asked this offseason is how, did Malzahn ruin that position? I think you could ask the same thing about these tight ends. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, what's up? Hey, guys. Um, <clears throat> let, me give you my, let me give you my five top, okay? Go for it. All right. Hicks, Tank Bixby. Um, and my other one on offense is a tie between Brahms and uh, – oh, gosh, I can't think of his name again. Whoever's the playing left tackle? That in. What was that? One that played tight end and running back. Uh, uh, you talking about Shanker? No, 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 no. Big guy. You said play tight end? Yeah. 
tight end. He played running back a couple times. Like J.J. Pegues? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He's over on defense now, Spectre. Yeah, I understand that, but I ain't seen him on defense. So he's still a tight end running back until I see him otherwise. <laughs> okay. I agree with that. Yeah, sure. And, uh, okay, that is that five? Did I mention that? Uh, I think I think I think you got three right there. You you named three offensive players. Now now give me two okay. two other players. All right, Alpo and McLean. That's good. I like it. I'm not mad at that. I'm yeah. not mad at Papo McLean. I'm not mad at that list. The only one I disagree with you on is JJ Pegues. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I, I just don't know uh, how far he's really came along on the defensive line. He's going to be playing what? Like I, I don't know if he's playing nose tackle. If he's going to be playing. Defensive tackle, whatever that looks like in the 3-4. There's just other defensive linemen that I would have gone with first before I went with Pegues. Spectre, do you well, think do you, do you think that we'll see Pegues in the Wildcat at any point during the season? Do you think we'll see him run the ball? Because I think that we might might see it once this season at some point. You know, this, guy's an, this guy's an athlete. And, uh, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if he wouldn't at left tackle. <laughs> hey, Auburn needs the help. Auburn Spectre. needs the help. I got one other thing. Um Get back to our uh, recruiting, our red light, green light thing, okay? Uh, you know, Auburn's in single digits in commitments, right? They're at nine, yep. Yeah, well, there's two other teams that are ahead of them that are single digits. And uh, SC is one of them. And the reason why they're ahead of Auburn is because uh, two of those commitments are five stars. Hmm. Okay. And then the second team that's ahead of Auburn, which is, um, I can, oh, let me think who it might be, Miami, I think it is. <clears throat> the reason why they're ahead of them, and they're in single digits also, is because they got five four stars. And of course, Auburn, the other, the third team is in single digits, is down there at rank, ranked at 55th. Yeah, they only got three four stars and six three stars. Now, Y'all said Vanderbilt's ahead of all all three of these teams and commitments. And shoot, they got only what? They got eighteen three stars. That's right. So where's that? Where's Vanderbilt in at year in year out? They're definitely at the bottom of the SEC most of the times, and I th- and I think that they'll probably finish that way. Right now, they're sitting at eleventh in the SEC. Auburn's still at last. <clears throat> so that says a lot about three stars, and it says a lot about you know. You can take a three-star and develop that person, and, and if you develop him good, you got a good coach that, that, that develops good, you're going to make him a four- or five-star. But, uh, that's, that, you know, that's made to be seen. I don't know where these three-stars Vanderbilt's getting them from. You know, and I'll say this about Auburn's recruiting, too. Like, I, I – I'm feeling better, but I'm still yellow, and, I, and I'm not going to get on to uh, I'm not going to get onto the green light this season at all. I, I, I just I'm not expected that to happen. But you know, everybody else is picking up recruits too. People, you know, if you're if you're just locked into Auburn, you're thinking, oh, Auburn's getting these guys, and it, it is good. Caden Story's a good get, and Jacoby Albert's also a really good get. But the thing is, Auburn still does have the fewest commitments in the SEC, and they're the only team in the SEC with less than ten. So that, that is the other side of the coin. They are still dead last. There's still a lot of work to be done, but there is positive news out there. And so I think good things are occurring, and there is momentum, and there's still a lot of time to 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 bring in better commitments and to get those four stars and to salvage well, me, this class. Well, let me ask you this question. With the number of commitments 
that Auburn has, which is only nine, do you think that, are, that there are a lot of three stars out there that want to come to Auburn, but Auburn is just shunning them? Uh, I think that Auburn. I think I think you probably are seeing Auburn recruit a lot of three stars of this year's class, though. I think Auburn's not really going after the fours and the fives this year especially looking at what Big Cat Weekend looked like because the 2023 class, Auburn's like mainly had four- and five-star visitors a couple of weeks ago. But I, I think Auburn is going hard after a lot of threes and then maybe some fours here and there, but not a lot of these pipeline recruits like Georgia, Florida, Alabama, four-stars. It doesn't seem like Auburn's really in those battles at the moment. If Auburn could get like a Curtis Perry out of Park Crossing in Montgomery, that would be incredible. If Auburn could get Darius Clemens out of Oregon, that would be incredible. I'm just not I'm not super certain that that's going to occur. I know they're in the hunt, but it's it's going to be tough to get some of those four stars. Yeah. One other thing, rating on my light now, You when you go from yellow to red, you go from yellow to flashing red to steady red. Is that correct? Is that how y'all gauging it? We're we're really uh, we're just kind of saying green, yellow, red. But I understand if you're panicking, it's a flashing red light, and I know that's where you've been at, Specter. Are you still there? Or are you yeah. uh, calming down a bit? No, I'm still there until this uh, four star, five star commitments come in. <laughs> and then uh, you will probably be red all all year long, Specter. That's right. All right, guys. Talk to you later. That was Specter on the line with us. I think we got another caller on the line. We're going to go to Matt now. Matt, what's up, my man? Hey, guys. Um, I know no one really wants to talk about this since it's kind of behind us, but it's still a little bit relevant in the world and the Delta variant of COVID. How do you think that impacts college football season and capacities and everything going on with that? You know, and I'm trying to stay optimistic about it because you're right, a lot of folks don't want to talk about it. And, of course, Auburn, I can't remember if it was yesterday or two days ago, released that statement that said that if you were at if you're inside facilities and whatnot on campus you have to wear a mask but they did leave it open that if it was open air venues and whatnot you you wouldn't have to so at the moment from from what it seems like the the football games don't don't really seem like they're they're getting touched that much right now and I, and I think across college football at the moment at least if you're in the southeast because the way that it leans here culturally you're not I, I I think you're still good to go. I'm not I'm not worried too much about it at the moment. I, th- I think that you're going to see a, a packed out Jordan Hare Stadium on September 4th. Do you think that could change over the next month or so? You know I haven't really given that too much thought. Do you think that that it could change? I, I'm assuming by you asking that question, you think it could. I, I definitely don't want it to, but I mean, we kind of have to do what's in the best interest of public safety and and keeping people healthy so i mean yeah yeah and i kind of you know i i've been a little bit more towards people making their own choices um when it when it comes to you know what how they want to go out and live their life and and uh whether or not they're going out into public and whatnot and so if people feel secure enough to to go to a football game and that's something that they're offering you know i i don't think that you're going to see a less than full capacity Jordan-Hare Stadium on September 4th. I just have a hard time believing that that's, going to, that that's not going to be a thing coming up a month from now. I understand the, the whole point on public safety and whatnot, but I just have a hard time they're gonna, that they're going to forego that this season. That, that's been what everybody's working towards. I hear you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. That was Matt on the line with us. Lance, you got any thoughts on that? 
from like a revenue standpoint, I have a really hard time thinking that the SEC won't open it up and let people decide what they want to do if they want to come to the stadium and pay for a ticket or not. I mean, they need to start recuperating some of the money that they lost last season. Yeah, and it, it, look, I know the Delta variant's kicking up, okay? And the statistics do show that it's folks that aren't vaccinated. And I know that's something that some people don't want to hear, but, I mean, the statistics do show that a lot of times. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely about people making their own choices, right? I'm not out here trying to say that one person has to do one thing, that that everybody has to do this. I'm not hammering that home. If, if you want to go out and, and, and you're not wanting to do that, then, then fine. You know, like it's your, it's your choice, you know? And so that's what, that was kind of the gist of what I was getting at with Matt there. He, he said, you know, did, you know, public safety, public health and whatnot. If people want to go to a ball game, then they can go to a ball game. That was offered to them last year. There was a risk last year going to football games when there wasn't a vaccine. Right. Now there is a vaccine, right? There yeah. are ways to protect yourself and to live your life, you yeah. know. Is the uh is the mask ordinance for both vaccinated and unvaccinated? Yes. Interesting. Inside university facilities. Interesting. So now that does not count open air athletic venues though. Right. So once again that to way I take that as football. So from what I understand we're uh, we're going to be in Jordan Hare Stadium September 4th. Yeah, so a, a month from today, which is exciting. I know you're pumped. Hype. Really really <laughs> excited. Let's head to a quick break. Second hour of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Big thank you there to Spectre and Matt calling in. Ed called in an hour number one. If you want to call it, 334-321-1390. Lance, you didn't get to give your thoughts as well on Spectre's call about recruiting. Talked about Matt's in terms of the COVID Delta variant, how that could affect athletic events this upcoming year. Of course, we don't want it to. It's possible. I don't think it will, but it's possible. What about recruiting? Well, I think uh, I think for, you know, the traffic light and him saying that he's still red, you know, like you said, you're not going to be probably past yellow for the for the rest of the recruiting cycle. And that's completely understandable because of the way that the coaching staff's recruiting right now. I said a similar thing. It's like, I don't know if I will step out of yellow now with all the transfers and stuff coming in. Who knows? I may assess the at the end of the recruiting cycle, may assess all these different transfers collectively and say, yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting at I'm sitting at somewhat green. I'm happy with this. I th- but Auburn's going to have to get out of the bottom of the SEC in order for me to start trending in that direction. You know, I mean, what just, about Spectre being on flashing red? I don't. I, I disagree with that. I don't think it's panic mode right now. You've gotten seven commitments in the last month. It's not not like Auburn's sitting there with three anymore. They're sitting there with nine. Kentucky has ten, which, are, which and they're sitting like right in front of them. I believe Ole Miss has ten as well. If Auburn gets one more and it's a four star recruit, they could be moving up three or four spots. And then you still you look at that average player rating, and Auburn's sitting at ninth in the SEC right now. So. There's definitely promise for the future as far as the recruiting trail goes right now. You can get a guy like Curtis Perry. That would be dope. Um, but, yeah, I'm sitting at, I'm sitting at yellow. I, I disagree with him sitting at red. I understand why fans, some fans may be disgruntled, though. To be fair, though, you are saying Auburn is a one commitment away from Kentucky. Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, Vanderbilt's actually doubled Auburn up on commitments at the moment. They have 19. Auburn has nine. But nice. still, like, Auburn, I, to be fair to, to Spectre on that, like, this isn't where Auburn wants to be at. No, no. Not no, even remotely close. Not, not at all. But, again, I think there's a lot of promise that shows that they will be making 
Uh, they will be making moves in the future, and I don't. I don't think that they're going to finish the year with a fantastic class. I've already kind of resigned myself to, you know, eighth or ninth in the SEC, maybe somewhere sitting around there. So maybe it's the fact that I just have low expectations <laughs> as a fan. Um, but yeah, for sure, this is not last in the SEC. Is not where Auburn wants to be. They got to make start making some progress, and I believe they will. Auburn basketball released their non-conference schedule. Their full non-conference schedule now out on AuburnTigers.com. They open up against Moorhead State on November 9th. That time still to be announced, but they open up against Moorhead State. They'll then host ULM. They'll go to USF, and then it's time for Battle for Atlantis. Out in the Bahamas, they'll take on UConn in that first round. Then it's either Loyola, Chicago, or Michigan State. And then depending on what direction they were going in that bracket, it's Arizona State, Baylor, Syracuse, or VCU. After the battle for Atlantis, you head to UCF. That's a home game, excuse me. You're hosting UCF and Auburn Arena on December 1st. You also get Yale. That's a fun matchup. I'm excited for that when you talk about Yale and how well they've performed the Ivy League over the last couple of years. And uh, in 2020, uh, they were held out of the, the tournament, obviously, because of COVID restrictions. But they would have been another team to watch. The last two seasons, that or three seasons, actually, that Yale's either had the opportunity or been in the NCAA tournament, they've been a really fun team to watch. You go back and watch that LSU-Yale game, they can really light it up from deep. Nebraska will follow that in Holiday Hoops giving on December 11th in Atlanta, Georgia. Then you get North Alabama, St. Louis on the road, and Murray State at home. And then the other non-conference game, of course, Big 12 SEC Challenge, Auburn hosting Oklahoma on January 29th. But before SEC play, Murray State's where it wraps up. Thoughts on this schedule? Really interesting non-conference schedule. You know, it kind of it, it, it's the the Battle for Atlantis field is really really loaded. Something else that the press really says is that the field collectively accounts for eight national championships, twenty seven Final Four appearances, and seventy conference championships. I mean, that is a loaded Battle for Atlantis field. Going to be interesting to see what Auburn does there. Again, in my opinion, a lot of the teams that Auburn is up against are are kind of having down years, and Auburn's kind of having an upward uh, they've got an upward trajectory I think they're going to be a pretty good basketball team this year I'm not saying that Auburn's going to sweep that field I'm just saying Auburn's got a pretty good opportunity to show the world what they're made of early on in non-conference play I do really like the UCF and Yale matchups UCF gave Auburn a lot of trouble last year defensively Auburn couldn't figure out how to shoot the ball Justin Powell had one of his worst outings of the season before he was he was uh injured so a lot of guys coming back on the UCF team as well yeah really interesting non-conference slate Fun note here from Christian Clemente at C. Clemente. One thing of note in Auburn's non-con schedule, the game at USF will be played at Amelie Arena where this year's SEC tournament will be held. Smart scheduling decision by BP. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's different in Detroit now. I thought this was interesting. I just saw this on Twitter. Apparently there was a brawl. This is on Bleacher Report Gridiron. Apparently there was a brawl at Lions training camp. And wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC apparently threw some punches with quarterback Afitu Melanfonwu. They went at it on Tuesday, and Lions coach Dan Campbell said it fired me up. <laughs> really? Really? Did I love it. it. Did it Did it fire you up, coach? <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that, please? 
That sounds like something Freddie Kitchens would say. You like see your players like fighting with each other. Like that's hype. That is exciting right there. I love it. Love the energy, guys. Keep it up. Yeah. There is something to be said though. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think you know competition's a good thing. Now maybe you shouldn't be throwing punches, especially with helmets on. But competition's a good thing as long as it doesn't you know break up your locker room. Yeah, I think I think whenever you you talk it, as an Auburn guy, the only thing that is said about this program is the fact that it's a family, and I would just say. For Detroit, if those guys are truly connected with each other and they're a team, you don't treat family and you don't treat your teammates like that. You don't throw punches. Now, there is something to be said about competition. And I think that's very healthy. But you don't you don't you don't strike one of your teammates out of out wait, of y'all, wait that that y'all don't do that. You wait wait <laughs> at Thanksgiving y'all don't do that. You don't. It's you, not a backyard brawl. You Thanksgiving? don't flip the table and throw hands. No, you don't. What? It's weird. I mean, wishbone, man. You got to get after it. That is That's true. how we just. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, <laughs> another in, another rendition of uh, coach coordinator fire start bench cut. What what was last time we did it? It was uh, join trade dump, and yeah. now we're on to in out on the fence. This is for teams. ESPN released its power rankings for the 2021 season. You've got to say, are you in on one of these teams? Out on another on the fence with the third team all right so you're kind of ranking which teams you like more but you, you have to choose one on these right right top three of those rankings i think this is what you see in the coaches poll and in the media poll when it comes out alabama oklahoma clemson i'm gonna disagree with jeremy here i'm gonna say that i'm in on alabama and i'm on the fence on oklahoma and i'm out on clemson elaborate I think that this Oklahoma team, the fact that they have figured it out on defense, I think is really, really important. In the Big 12, I think they're going to, again, have the opportunity to to win that conference title game and get to the playoff, regardless of whether or not they trip up against Kansas State or Iowa State, regardless of whether or not that happens. In this scenario, we're talking about confidence in their ability to win that national title, right? For Clemson, I have a lot of questions about that offense, and even though their defense is going to be pretty good this season. I still have a lot of questions about the the quality of talent that they will face outside of the Georgia game and how prepared they would be in the playoff. I would argue that the Big 12 is just as good of a conference, if not better than the ACC from top to bottom. Um, so I think that... At least if, especially at the top. There's at, more competitive teams at the top right now yeah. than maybe in the ACC. So I don't know. Then again, North Carolina and Miami are going to be better this year. I don't They're know, pretty even. I don't know if North Carolina is going to be better this season because Sam Howell lost so much, but still, Sam Howell. Yeah, I think they are pretty even, but again, I do I do like what I see in the Big 12 in terms of talent at the top and competitiveness, competitiveness at the top. So I think Oklahoma might be a little bit more prepared to um, to face somebody in the playoffs and maybe upset somebody. I'm in on Bama because of the defense. Now, the offense could end up being so over uh, underwhelming, excuse me, not overwhelming, underwhelming, that they don't win a national championship. I, I looked at this more of like buying stock or selling stock. Which teams am I fully locked in? Like, yeah, that team's going to be good this year versus teams that I, I'm more down on. I'm, I'm more in on Alabama. I'm, the only reason why I'm not on the fence with Alabama and not in on Oklahoma, because I really like this Oklahoma team. I'm on the fence with Oklahoma because I haven't seen them do it yet. People keep telling me that they can do it, and then what happens? They get smashed in the college football playoff by insert team here, whether it's been Alabama or LSU. They just they get blown out every time they make it to a playoff. So I'm not, except for the time that they played Georgia. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with Oklahoma because there's just no way to know that their defense is actually good 
until they make it to the playoff. There's no way to know with Oklahoma that they're actually good until they make it to the playoff because they just don't play that kind of schedule. We'll know that with Alabama. We'll know that with Clemson. Heck, we'll know that with Clemson right after week one. You know, I'm out on Clemson because I just don't trust this offense. And there have been, and I still think Clemson's a playoff team. I still think Clemson's the best team of the ACC. I, I, I think that they make the playoff. But I do not think that they win the national championship this year. They've got the defense, but I trust their offense a lot less than I trust the other two teams in this category because of their track records. Will, and, and that's what we're going off of with Clemson and Alabama's track record because they lost everything. Yeah, I will say this about Oklahoma's defense, though, and I agree with you. But I will also say this to just play devil's advocate. The Big 12 has been a meme in terms of the fact that all they do is play offense. So if they are able to survive that schedule, regardless of the quality of Texas Tech or TCU or Iowa State or whoever, Oklahoma State, if they're holding those teams underneath their averages, and those averages are pretty good because they know how to play offense, I would say that I would have somewhat, uh, I would have a little bit of confidence in their defense now have they played a clemson or alabama yet no i want oklahoma to be great this year it's going to make football better this year because i i want four or five teams competing at the top when it's all said and done i don't want it to be a foregone conclusion what our national championship should be at the end of the year oklahoma being good and a national championship contender is going to make the playoff interesting for the past couple years we've really only had two teams that it seemed that could really be national championship contenders so i want that next group Let's move down the rankings a little bit. Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia. This one's tough. This one's tougher for me. I'll I'll go while you think about it. I'm in on Oklahoma. I've talked a lot of game about this team. I think that they're a real national championship contender. Mm -hmm. I like the defense. I had to put them on the fence because I trusted Bama more than them in the previous group. Out of this group, I'm in on OU. I am on the fence with Georgia. I'm out on Clemson. I think week one, we see Clemson get exposed by Georgia. I think Georgia's still going to have a good defense. I trust Kirby Smart with his track record, despite what he lost, to have a good defense. Good enough to give that Clemson offense trouble. And I think Georgia's offense is legit. Now, I'm on the fence with them because we haven't really seen them be able to get past Alabama in their own league. That's why I'm on the fence with them. But OU, nothing is in their path. They're not losing to Kansas State this year. They're not going to lose to Iowa State this year. This team's going undefeated. I believe that. This Oklahoma team is going to be undefeated going into the playoff. This is a really good Oklahoma football team because they finally have a complete team, top to bottom. They are complete. I'm out on Clemson because I don't know if they I don't know if they are going to be complete. They lost a lot on offense. It's hard to replace what they lost. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say that I'm in on Oklahoma, I'm on the fence on Georgia, and I am out on Clemson. I think Georgia is man that offense I think is going to be something special and you talk about the defense just carrying over what they've been able to do the last two or three seasons I think this Clemson offense is going to struggle week one against Georgia I think Georgia's offense is going to do just enough I'm really really excited to see just how aggressive this Georgia offense is compared to what they've been in the past you know we talked we talked all offseason about their ability to stretch the field their ability to hit the home run ball their ability to throw it down the field and get it get them to these big physical wide receivers I think I'm interested to see how aggressive they are week one because I think they'll have the ability to do it against a good Clemson defense so and all the reasons you mentioned about Oklahoma buying in on Oklahoma I'm on the fence on Georgia and then I'm out on Clemson three teams that are in the top 10 but on the fringe here from the top five 
A&M, Iowa State, Oregon. This one was also really, really tough for me. Um, I will say I'm out on Oregon. I am in on Iowa State, and I'm on the fence on Texas A&M. Spicy. I'm different than that. Explain. The reason, and I've been talking up Oregon for the past two days about how they could potentially they could potentially make it interesting against Ohio State. I'm not said that they they would win or anything. I'll just say I think that game might be just a little closer than some people might think. Um, the reason that I say Oregon I'm out on is because I'm out on the Pac-12 altogether. They're bringing in a Boston College quarterback in Anthony Brown. I don't know if they've got a whole lot of production returning around him outside of the receivers that have been there for 30 years, and the receiver production has not been stellar. Can I ask you a question real quick, though? Yes, sir. Which of these three teams would you expect – like, which of these three teams do you feel least comfortable with to meet expectations? Um, Because they all three have huge expectations heaped on them. Which three do you feel the – like, ranking that order – because that, I wonder if that question changes your perspective on Oregon and A&M because you know how tough the SEC is versus how tough the Pac-12 is. That is, that is really, really tough. Um, I still really – I would say sure. I'll say A&M. I would say A&M will fail to meet expectations. Which would, would that – does that change your view on making them the out rather than the team that you're on the fence with? Sure. Sure, let's say that. Because so that, that was how I viewed it. I said there's no way A&M beats expectations with this league. Now, favorable schedule, but just in my mind, I was like, there's no way. Oregon's going to win 10 games. If they find a quarterback, though, I think... I guess that, yeah, sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. I will say I'm out on A&M, I'm on the fence on Oregon, and I'm in on Iowa State. That makes sense. I'll buy into that. That was, that was where I was at. Sure. That, that, was, that, was a really, that was a tough one for me. All right, next group here, SEC teams, Florida, LSU, Ole Miss. Uh, <laughs> this, was, this is, this is the, uh, the, the middle of the pack teams in the West, and then will, the question of whether or not will Florida finish second in the East. Um, expect, if we're talking expectations, I think Florida's got a pretty good shot to finish second in the East. Wouldn't you agree? So this is where I went. I went in on Florida. Yes. Just I like the hierarchy in the East a lot more. I think Florida's a lot more talented. All you got to do is get Emory Jones to to be a 65% passer, get him to run effectively. Florida's going to finish second in the East. They may even have a, ch- a shot at first if, if Georgia fails to meet expectations. So I'm in on Florida. Yep. A lot easier of a route there. I'm on the fence with LSU. I yep. think they're vastly more talented than Ole Miss on both sides of the football. Offensively, very close defensively LSU has so much more talent than Ole Miss I have been out on Ole Miss all summer long I stand by that now I'm still out on them this team's going to finish fifth in the SEC West behind Auburn this is not uh, and I I think Auburn finishes much higher than fifth but still I I, Ole Miss all they've got is the offense and really right now all that we know that they have on offense is that quarterback because they lost a lot well then they have Jerry and Ely at running back as well so you got quarterback and a running back Wide receiver, you lost a lot of talent. You're you're banking on some guys really improving, which they've been able to do that. The offensive line was only really good against bad teams last year, and the defense was good against nobody. I don't know how this team's going to actually leapfrog some of these more talented bunches. It was basically, do you think Ole Miss can move up in the hierarchy against teams like LSU or Florida? And no way. I'm not buying that whatsoever. That's why I've got them out. LSU I'm on the fence with because of the distractions around the program. Yeah. I, I think that's I, I would I would agree with that all the all the way through. I think Florida's got a pretty good shot to meet expectations. Ole Miss's defense is too bad. Their offense, you know, I have my question marks about whether or not they can stay consistent against some of the better teams in the league, and they can finish higher than third or fourth in in the in the uh, the, the West. And then LSU, 
I've I've come around on LSU after saying at the beginning of the the off season that I thought they would be just as bad as they were last season. I'm not saying that they're going to do anything incredible. I just think there's a lot of talent there, and if they find the right coordinator on defense, if Durante Jones is the answer, they have a nine and three type season. And so yeah, by I'm I'm in on Florida. I'm on the fence with LSU, and I'm out on Ole Miss. This one's a fun one. Missouri, Kentucky, Ole Miss. Please give me your perspective first. All right, I'm in on Missouri. Okay. I'm sticking with my SEC media day ballot. I'm in on Missouri. The reason why I'm in on Missouri, it came down to Missouri or Kentucky for the team that I'm in on. The reason why I feel most secure on Missouri, easiest schedule of this group of of three teams. Also, quarterback play. Not better than Matt Corral, but it's certainly better than whoever's going to start at Kentucky. Connor Bazelak, while Missouri may be as good or maybe a little bit worse at most other position groups on the field, I think that Connor Bazelak, what he offers them at quarterback, exceeds that of what Kentucky could even hope to offer at quarterback, which bumps Missouri up a little bit. A lot of poise for there Connor is. Bazelak. And now it's year two, and I expect them to be even better as a sophomore. So I like Missouri because of quarterback play. You've got to have a quarterback in this day and age. That that can cover up for a lot of issues on offense if you've got a capable QB. And Bazelak was good last year despite a lack of talent around him. Now he's going to have to – they're having to replace some skill position dudes. They're having to replace running backs like Roundtree. They're having to replace some receivers. But I, I think that he's good enough to make up for that because he was last year. This was a team that last season would have been a seven-win team if it was a regular year in football. This year, I think you're looking at them in a similar vein. The team that I'm on the fence with, I'm on the fence with Kentucky. A little bit easier of a schedule, of course, than what Ole Miss will have to face in the SEC West. I'm on the fence with Kentucky because I have no idea what that quarterback position will look like. I'm on the fence with them. I, I think they're solid every, at every other position group. Chris Rodriguez, great running back. They've got a great offensive line, as they do most years. They've got a a sound defense. I, I, I'm on the fence with them because of QB. And then you're you're out on Ole Miss for the reasons that we were explained previously. Yes. So I think I would agree with you, although I do really like a couple of the things that this Kentucky Wildcat squad brings to the table. I agree with you as far as Missouri goes. I think quarterback play is really, really important. Kentucky's going to have to find one of those in order for them to be successful this season, but I think there are a couple of things outside of that that will help quarterback play it just be it the quarterback's just going to have to be a game manager in my mind I think the reason number one is Chris Rodriguez last year Javante Williams was the only FBS running back who had a higher pro football focus grade than Rodriguez in each of the past two seasons Rodriguez has led the SEC in average yards after contact got that number from SEC StatCat he played in eight games last season in those games he averaged 112 uh, yards on uh, 15 carries His average yards before contact was 17th in the SEC last year. That might seem low, but for reference, Ely was 18th, Bigsby was 12th, and uh, Brian Robinson was 28th. Rodriguez was not a product of his offensive line. He was just a really good running back, period. They're going to be able to rely on him. Another reason, offensive line. Kentucky in there since 1980 have eight offensive linemen, I believe, taken. In the last two seasons, they've had three or uh, three taken out of those eight total since uh, 1980. They lose Landon Young. They lose Drake Jackson. They've got Darian Kennard and a couple other really good guys. And then again, or to, to wrap it up, I think the schedule lines up really well for them. And they play Missouri Week 2. And if again, if they can just find a quarterback, I think this defense is going to be able to hold on. They can find a quarterback that can manage the game. Kentucky's got a really good shot in a lot of their uh, games this season. 50-50 matchups, very similar to Missouri. 100%. I, would, I wouldn't have been mad if you had uh, Kentucky in. I'm, I'm not mad about that. The team that I've got out, Ole Miss. Let's take a break here. We'll wrap up the show when we come back. 
Last segment of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. It's good to be back, man. It's good to be back. Noah Gardner and Lance Gold with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama coming up in about eight minutes. It'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. And like I said, it's good to be back. It was a fun vacation to Disney World and uh, doing all that good stuff. Uh, celebrating my one-year anniversary with my lovely wife, Mary Beth. So um, had an absolute blast, man. First time first time to Disney World. I really, I, now that you've kind of hyped it up and just be, talked about not just the uh, the the roller coaster, but the, but the theatrics and stuff, I kind of want to go see. Now, Star Wars was not a thing at Disney whenever I went when definitely I was three. Not. Toy so, Story Land wasn't either. I think Star Wars would definitely be my main focus if I were to go, and I'd, I'd love to go actually see Well, that. there's enough stuff and line length to keep you busy. <laughs> there you go. All right, there is. I stood in line for 90 minutes to ride the millennial falcon ride and unfortunately after 90 minutes i'm thinking to myself was that worth it was it i asked myself that question all too often across <laughs> those three days i really did at the end of the day was it worth it i got to push some buttons it was a really interactive ride i oh, had a good cool. time cool I, I, I think it was worth it there you go i mean can i can i change it now no <laughs> yeah well i get you to get the experience that you're stuck with i guess but i, I got to build my own droid it works i haven't named it yet but that's pretty cool it works like literally it makes really? it, it moves it's remote controlled it's an rc car it's neat i do recommend it you would there's a lot of stuff to do there like i said disney world's unique because of the amount of effort that they go to 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 sell people on the experience and the theatrics and the way that everything looks it's clean too man hardly any trash anywhere exceptionally clean except that well dude your sales pitching me on disney right now let's go let's i mean i, I practically i practically could be an, an ad you know? could i sales pitch you on some bojangles <laughs> we're on the street is that it's bow time noah that's funny that's funny we yeah. ended yesterday's show talking about bojangles i want to end today's show talking about it boys it's bow, bow time that's all i'm gonna say you know what i'll i'll, I'll hold off it's bolt it's bow time just know it's bow time Bonex, of course, you're mentioning his NIL deal that he yeah. signed with uh, with Bojangles. But fun show today. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest that's going on at the station, as well as Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook and Twitter also. FoxSports983.com and then ESPNAU.com. We'll be out of here in just a minute. Lance, final takeaways here on today's show. Talk to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Anybody missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, I think a thing to take away for Auburn fans because this is, again, this is a hot button issue. Just know that there are tight ends in this in this group that can actually catch a, catch a pass. And we will see somebody catch a pass. I believe uh, Justin Ferguson said this on yesterday show I might be wrong but he said in Boise State I think every year that Harson was there as the head coach they had at least two tight ends on roster that caught at least 10 passes so that's promising boys that is promising we're gonna get to see it I'm gonna drop something big here last segment before we get out of here we'll talk about this tomorrow more wins UCF for Auburn 2021 uh, this is all spurred uh, on because of Big Cat Bryant's jokes oh no um I right now my Ah, I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to answer that question. I'm going to say my gut says UCF, but I don't want it to be true. Let's just say it's going to be close. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll break that down. We'll break down that question tomorrow, of course, spurred on by Big Cat Bryant's comments about his former program. But that's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. 
Bill Cameron, Dan Peck, coming up with The Drive from 4 to 6 p.m. Stay tuned. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.